know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation, episode 162, and I am solo today. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I think integrates domestic violence or intimate partner violence and sex trafficking. And the topic is coercive control. And maybe you've heard the topic before, maybe you haven't. But particularly in intimate partner violence situations, coercive control is a dominating factor often. And it is also a dominating factor in sex trafficking. And so that this is one of the elements where intimate partner violence and sex trafficking sort of correlate. Now, when we talk about intimate partner violence, we're often thinking about physical violence or sexual violence, but we often don't think about coercive control. And so let me describe and explain coercive control. It is a pattern of abuse, often not physical, although it can be, but the purpose of coercive control is to isolate the victim, intimidate, and dominate. And it may be subtle at first and then starts to grow. So you may start to dismiss it over and over and over again and then find out you're in a place in your life where you're experiencing control, where you're walking on eggshells, where you are in fear, where you've lost yourself. And you may wonder, how how did I get here? And coercive control is often subtle like that. It starts to make you doubt yourself because coercive control is about someone who is controlling perhaps the way you feel, the way you think, what you do, and they can gaslight you and it starts to make you doubt yourself because it's a mind game. And coercive control is used to harm and really punish the victim. So who are the perpetrators of this coercive control? Often your partner and in sex trafficking, some victims may call this their boyfriend, but Perpetrators are often really angry people, really insecure people, so they have to control somebody else. The thing about some perpetrators, of course, of control is oftentimes people think that they're a great person. You know, they're often affectionate and loving in front of other people. And even though we may think of men as being perpetrators of coercive control, there are lots of women that also perpetrate coercive control. This happens in all types of relationships. The essence of 
coercive control is they're asking their victim over and over again, are you okay? Are you okay? You sure you're okay? And they don't use those words. They may say it in all kinds of ways. Like, well, you didn't think that last week. Well, you didn't say that last time. Or I'm just doing what you told me to say, what you were thinking. And then you say, well, I, w- I wasn't thinking that. Or I I didn't say that. And But the, the essence is, are you okay? Right? And so what they're doing is they're getting to the conversation of you're really not okay. Okay. And they're convincing you that you're not okay. And you need me. I need to make sure you're okay. And the way that I do that is to control you. Right. So some of the gaslighting might be, well, you know, you said it and you know, you didn't say that or you didn't do that, but they keep saying that you did. I'm just doing what you said. I'm just acting like you acted like you wanted. And so the point is to get you to start to question, now, did I say that? And then they start to tell you what you think. I know you think that I'm, and then they finish the sentence, or I know you want me to, you know, and then they finish the sentence. They they want to start telling you kind of what you think and what you feel. And sometimes the argument that they're in with themselves because they've told you what you thought and then they're responding to what they said you thought that you likely never thought. And there's an argument going on of which you're not really a participant. You're just defending yourself about what you know at that point you thought. And what you know you didn't think and what you know you felt and what you know you didn't feel. But over time, they can wear you down. And you can begin to think, wait, do I think this? I I guess I do. I guess I feel this way. And you might even be in the argument taking the opposite side just to validate that this is not what you were thinking or feeling. But the opposite side isn't even what you truly were thinking or feeling. Now, if that happens over time and over time, you start to get confused over the things you do believe in, the things you do think and feel. You start to question yourself. Over the past 19 years, the International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference has welcomed thousands of attendees from all 50 states and from 47 countries. We are the largest and oldest academic conference on human trafficking in the world. Our 19th annual conference will be hosted virtually this year on September 21st through the 23rd. You will have the opportunity to learn from and collaborate with thousands of advocates, researchers, providers, and survivors from across the globe. This will be our largest conference to date with over 110 breakout sessions, featuring 175 expert presenters, speaking about various topics related to human trafficking and social justice issues. Make sure you are part of the conversation and don't miss out. Find out more and register today on our website, traffickingconference.com. Then there's the control element to this and they may control the money 
control your time, control your sleep, control what you eat, control your ability to go to events with your family or hang out with your friends. They may say, well, why don't you ever hang out with me? Like you see them all the time, which you don't because this person's goal is to isolate you. They make you feel guilty. They make you feel ashamed. So you start to miss family events. You start to attend to them the way that they're attending to you. But the attention that you're getting from them is all about control. Controlling your money, um, controlling your time, telling you how to spend your money, how to spend your time, when to eat, when to sleep. That starts to become an element of this relationship. Isolation, trying to keep you from your friends and family to, in essence, keep you dependent. Oh, there's lots of suffering on your part that often no one validates because no one can put their finger on what's happening in your relationship, even if they know something might not exactly be right. They can't put their finger on it. You can't often put your finger on it because this is gradual over time most often. And you suffer in silence because now you question yourself. You question if you are thinking and feeling the things that you believe you're thinking and feeling, or is this person, your partner, correct when they're questioning and gaslighting you? When you defy them, when you ask for something extra to be able to hang out with your friends or your family or for for you both to spend extra money on something um, that you really want, then there's a price to be paid. And often that is sex, doing things that maybe you're uncomfortable doing, but there's a price to be paid if you really want to attend. But often you miss events. And so People just stop asking you because you stop showing up. In this relationship, everything is your fault. Even when there is something outside the relationship that happens to them, somehow it gets to you. Somehow it's your fault. Well, I didn't want to say anything since when I say something to you like that, you go off or I didn't want to do anything because when I when this happens to you, somehow it gets back to you. They acted in a certain way or or failed to act in a certain way. And somehow it is your fault. Well, I didn't have time to respond to whatever it is they don't like because I had to get back to you or had to do something you wanted done. Somehow what happens to them outside and independent of you, they figure out how it's your fault. They say things like, why are you freaking out? Like, why are you going to 10 when you really aren't? It's really because they're not getting their way in that moment. Maybe they accuse you of having an affair and they need to follow you or, you know, if you're being trafficked, they accuse you of being out of pocket, of holding back some of the money when they're working to control your thoughts, your feelings. They, they can be very argumentative when you disagree. 
And you're not allowed to disagree. You're not allowed to have your own independent thoughts and feelings apart from their thoughts and feelings. You know, in healthy relationships, you can have divergent thoughts and feelings and it's okay. We agree to disagree or we agree to have our own independent thought or feeling about that particular issue. But in these relationships that involve coercive control, you are not allowed to have your own independent thoughts and feelings. And so that can cause an argument and they can remain argumentative following you around in your house from room to room until they just wear you down and they win. You just say, okay, like sort of like I give and they win. In their argument, they'll tell you how important their feelings are and still deny you uh, the humanity of your feelings. And this type of person can't be wrong. They just can't be wrong. So you end up giving in. Even when you point out to them, when they've calmed down and you find the right, right moment and you point out to them some of the things that they're doing in the relationship, they're in complete denial about it. And because they're in complete denial about it, it sort of feeds back into your gaslighting. Like, wait, am I making this up? Is it really my fault? Then on top of that, they do something really nice to allow you to forgive them or to even question that you were thinking that somehow they were dysfunctional. Maybe maybe you were wrong about that. And that's really dangerous. Or the type of relationship, of course, of control when they have overstepped and then they have to overcorrect and speak to you so nicely and do things so nicely that you start to question, well, maybe this isn't a dysfunctional relationship. Maybe maybe it will be a good relationship. Maybe it is, and it's just me. People that live under coercive control, they think that no one knows what's happening. They think that nobody sees it and that it looks, at least from the outside, to be a great relationship. But most often, if you are and when you are allowed to be around your friends or your family, there might be one or two people that knows it. They know something is wrong. One good way to find out if you are in a relationship where you are the victim of coercive control is that you know everything about your partner and you've adjusted yourself so much through this relationship that you believe and say and do everything exactly the way they want or at least you try to but they quickly point out when you have failed and during this process you you lose yourself you don't know who you are anymore you don't know what you stand for you don't know what you like, you don't even remember what you used to do or what you used to like. And if you do remember it, it's sort of off in the distance and you're trying to remember it and maybe maybe bring it back closer to your life and have some independence, some be, be your own self independent of this relationship, but it's difficult. 
Another common denominator is that you often feel sorry for them. Um, and that's why you don't leave. You somehow convince yourself that without you, they just wouldn't make it, or maybe they told you they wouldn't make it, or they might commit suicide if you leave. Maybe it's because you feel like you love them so deeply. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes you're just afraid to leave and you just feel sorry for them. They're not going to be able to make it, but sometimes you do feel like you deeply love them and it's, and, and, and you resign yourself to be their emotional punching bag. And that's when you know that They've taken your self-esteem. They've lowered your self-esteem so much that you're willing to allow them to do that to you. When you feel like you love them so deeply, check it out and see, are you soulmates or are you woundmates? Are you connecting and meeting each other emotionally in sick places that that need to be healed? And, and you can't heal together because you'll feed back into each other's sicknesses. If you are a victim of coercive control, reach out. Reach out. There is life after coercive control. Coercive control happens in intimate partner relationships. It happens in domestic violence relationships. And remember the difference domestic violence is you could have a teenager that is violent in the home. So it doesn't have to be an intimate partnership. But it can happen in intimate partnerships, it can happen in domestic violence, and it can happen in sex trafficking. If this isn't happening to you, maybe it's happening to a friend of yours, a family member, a coworker. If you suspect, reach out, talk to them, tell them that there is a way out, there is hope, that they can regain the joy and the freedom back in their lives. And if you're a professional or you're walking alongside a survivor of sex trafficking or sexual assault or intimate partner violence, don't just look at the physical abuse or the sexual abuse. And when you don't see signs of physical abuse, for example, don't assume that everything's all right, that everything's better. Because that perpetrator can just simply look at a victim and that victim will know what they should say, what they shouldn't say, how they should act and how they shouldn't act. And so go a little deeper if you want to walk alongside survivors and help them heal. Until next time, the fight continues. Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.